Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you guys. Thank you, worship team, for leading us before Christ's throne. I'm going to ask you to turn. I have a couple of passages of scripture I want to start off by reading to you this morning. Um, so if you would, open up your Bible or turn on your phone to uh, Psalm 46. This one will not be on the screen, but I just want to read it to you just to begin our time together. Let's read this together prayerfully. Just follow along with me in the text. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen, church? And if you will, turn to Revelation chapter 8. This will be our dominant text for this morning. I think you'll notice some similarities as we look at this together. Revelation chapter 8, this one will be on the screen for you as well. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints in the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. 
and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Church, this is the word of our living, sovereign, holy, and loving God to us as church. The seventh and final seal has been broken, and the scroll opens up. It's where we are in the story as we approach Revelation chapter 8. As I've said many times now, we, we have left the shallow end of the pool, and we are now into the deep water of this book. We are now into um, some hard teachings, if I could say it that way. And it's going to get harder for a bit before we see the final culmination of this great story that God is writing. The events that will end the cosmos as we know it and initiate eternity are about to begin in the book of Revelation. And so what happens first? We have what, what we might call a Selah moment, time of silence. If you go back to verse 1 in the chapter and look at it, we have this time of silence that occurs first. Verse 1, John writes, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's a time of expectant waiting here for God's judgment to unfold on sinful man. It is the ultimate dramatic pause before the action begins. It's the calm before the storm. It's, it's a time, as Psalm 46, that first passage I read to you this morning, it, it's a time to be still. As in all creation, there's this half hour of silence. God's word often shows us a connection between silence, between silence and reverence. Let me just show you a couple of passages. Whoops, they're already there. Habakkuk 2, 20, right? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then Zephaniah 1.7, you see on the screen, it says, be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, this time that we're reading about now in Revelation. And here, through Zephaniah the prophet, Jehovah says, the day of the Lord is near. In Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. There's a connection in Scripture between silence and reverence. Bible scholar Ian Paul puts it this way. He says, the prospect of judgment should make all the world fall into silence. Returning back to Revelation chapter 8, this half an hour of silence passes, and as we come to verse 2, we see then, John says, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. 
Now, in the Old Testament, the trumpet was used for many different purposes. It's not exactly an instrument that we think about and we compare it to silence. (laughs) If you've ever had a young person in your household learning the trumpet, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. It's not exactly a quiet instrument, but here's how all of the ways, I should say, that the trumpet is used in Scripture as I've looked through this. It was used to to call the people together for ancient Israel to alert the tribes to set out on their journey, to sound the alarm in a time of war, to celebrate days of sacred feasts, to call the people to worship, to coronate kings, and to announce this day that we're studying about, the day of the Lord. And so the trumpet breaks the silence that expectant waiting, that dramatic pause is now going to be broken by the sound of trumpets. Let's look just at the one passage that I had for you there, Zephaniah chapter 1 and verses 14 through 16. Here we read God speaking through Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord of Jehovah is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, The mighty man cries aloud here. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And and we find something very similar in a prophecy in the book of Joel. Joel 2, 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord tremble. For the day of the Lord, this day that we are reading about now, is coming. It is near. Here in Revelation, we see the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. So returning back to Revelation chapter 8, let's continue on. With the next verses, verses 3 and 4, John writes, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, we've seen much of this imagery before, church, as we've studied this book. The incense here, for instance, is symbolic of the prayers of the saints, specifically the ones who had been martyred from the seven churches, specifically those in John's day when he's writing this who have given their very lives for the Christian faith. And their prayers for God's justice to be done and their prayers for the kingdom of Christ to come in its fullness are what are being referenced here. But this imagery is found other places in Scripture as well. David prayed, Psalm 141, 2, he said, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so Bible scholar Robert Mounts writes this. He said, The angel is pictured as offering the prayers of the saints in much the same way as the priests in the temple at Jerusalem would daily take hot coals from the altar of sacrifice and carry them into the holy place to the golden altar of incense. And and so I say this to you to say that this imagery 
would have been very familiar as the original audience hearing this revelation for the first time would have understood what was happening here very well. The ascending smoke signified in these verses, the ascending smoke signified God's acceptance of their sacrifice, his acceptance of their prayers. Here's the point that you and I need to hear from this. These verses give testimony to the efficacy of prayer, to the effectiveness of our prayers, church. Brothers and sisters, we need to be committed to prayer because prayer matters. God uses our prayers to accomplish his will. God uses our prayers to accomplish his will. Let's continue on with verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Judgment is now coming against a world that is absolutely committed to its hostility to God. However, what we need to see here still is the mercy and the patience of God because this is an opportunity still at this point. And, and church, I want to be very clear about this. I'm not telling this to you. I'm not preaching this to you today as if I think this is a fictional story. I believe that these are historical realities yet to happen. And we live in this time. We live in the time where God's mercy and his patience is causing him to wait for the day of the Lord to occur so that as many people as possible can be brought into his grace and forgiveness. And that's what we need to see here. We need to see the mercy and the patience of God. Bible scholar Grant Osborne writes, the purpose of the trumpets is to prove the absolute sovereignty of God and to provide a final chance to repent. For these people here on the earth, when this day eventually happens, there's still an opportunity to be repent. There's still time for sinful people to repent and turn to God, and that's certainly true today. And so let us never forget that for our family members and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and those we encounter in our lives, that this is still the day of their salvation. This is still a time where they can repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ for salvation. And, and would God use us in that process in their lives? Amen. And now in the remainder of chapter 8, we see the first four angels sounding their trumpets. Let's, let's look together at this verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. Let me just move through this quickly with you so we can have some understanding of what's happening here. Hail is often a form of judgment in the Old Testament. There are some passages that you could consider with this. It was judgment on the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Assyrians. So this is a common biblical image 
uh, God said to Job, Job chapter 38, verses 22 and 23, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail which I have reserved for times of trouble for the day of battle and war? And then in the Old Testament, we see prophecies concerning the day of the Lord that speak of fire and blood. This is the other image that we see in the verse that we're looking at. So hail, fire, and blood. God says through the prophet Joel, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There it is again. All of these Old Testament prophecies we're looking at are looking forward to a day that has not yet happened. It's biblical prophecy to this day that is called the day of the Lord in Scripture. The destruction that this hail and fire and blood will have on the trees and grass will mean food shortages across the planet. There will be a great famine due to this. Continuing on with verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. This is a mountain that is cast into the sea. Is, is it, what is John seeing here? Is it a volcano? Is it a giant meteor? I don't know that speculation like that is helpful. I don't think it really matters. What matters is the outcome, the impact. The impact, again, will be famine on the earth. So many nations around our globe that are absolutely dependent upon the fishing industry. And this will have significant impact on that. And then, church, we come to the third angel, with verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. What I want to do with this, because there's so much here, is just contrast these two ideas for you between springs of water and wormwood because both of them are very significant biblically. First of all, springs of water is a frequent metaphor used in the Bible for God's gift of life. The imagery here is representing life and the life that God gives to us. And there are so many passages I've written them down for in your note sheet. I have to move through them quickly, but Proverbs 10:11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. Speaking of Israel here, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. This verse is to Israel, but we get this because we struggle with this church, forsaking the living God and developing our own idols, things that we choose to chase after. Isaiah 41, verse 18, I will open rivers on the bare heights, mountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. This is God's promise. And then one last passage, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. All of these scriptures, and I could give you a couple dozen more from the Old Testament, 
that communicate the imagery of the fountain of life being the life that God gives. Now we're going to contrast that with wormwood because wormwood is a symbol of bitter sorrow, judgment, and death. And just a couple of verses for you here. Amos 5, 7 says, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness on the earth. In Lamentation 3.19, here the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations is speaking of his own sinfulness. He says, I remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood, the bitterness, the death that I lived in is what he's saying here. And so the water is turned bitter and it's even turned poisonous here because of the third angel the blowing of the trumpet. This is a symbol of God's judgment. Just one more passage for you from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 15. God says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink, and from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has gone out into all of the land. Let's finish the passage. Revelation chapter 8, back to Revelation 8, verses 12 through 13. We come to the fourth angel. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets. There's more trumpets to come. We'll get to those next week. At the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This talking eagle is saying to those who can hear, you haven't seen anything yet. The judgments are going to get worse. Let's talk about what happens here when the fourth angel blows his trumpet. Darkness is a common symbol in Scripture referring to these things. And again, I'm hitting you with so much Scripture because what I want you to see is that these are not my ideas. I'm not reading the book of Revelation and giving you what I think about it. I'm giving you what Scripture says about it because that you need, that I need, that matters. And darkness here is a common symbol throughout the Bible for all of those things, for chaos, for evil, for demonic activity, and for judgment. Jesus referenced it, talking about this day, talking about the events of Revelation 8 and following during his earthly ministry. He said, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And then we get to the end of verse 13. We get to verse 13 and we think, what's going on with the talking eagle? Anybody else think that's a, a bit different? <laughs> I mean, believe me, I'm a big fan of J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings. I'm a big fan of the Chronicles of Narnia. And so there's a part of me that's like, wow, maybe Lewis and Tolkien weren't far off. Well, I think as much as I would like to think that, there, that this is going to be commonplace at the end and, and in heaven. I think that most likely this is a reference back to the eagle that we saw in chapter 4. 
and go back and look at chapter 4 if you if that's fuzzy for you but one of the four creatures around the throne of God most likely this is that creature who flies overhead and warns the earth of the coming of the next judgments well we need to apply because though we should be committed church to knowing God's word and we should be committed to understanding it as Christ followers I want us to be able to take away some practical application every time we gather together not just head knowledge but how ought I to live my life differently in response to God's word amen that that should be our our desire and our goal and so let me give you three points of application here that I see that we should respond from our study of Revelation chapter 8 first of all let's be still I think that silence at the beginning of the chapter is, is meant for us to understand the importance of being still before God. Be still before your creator. Be still before the one who is sustaining his creation and who will one day bring it to completion, to conclusion. Revelation 8.1, I'll read it for you one more time. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. In Psalm 46.10, the passage we started with this morning, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Would you agree with me? There is so much noise in the world today. <laughs> we can't get away from it. And, and there's a sense in which we shouldn't try because we ought to be as Christ followers, we ought to be like the sons of Korah who understood the times and knew what to do. It's a biblical model, and we ought to be good citizens of our country, and we ought to be good citizens of our state. We ought to be plugged into what's happening in the world and know about current events. But sometimes isn't it so deafening, so divisive? I mean, we've got politicians and experts the talking heads and the media personalities, even our own friends on Facebook, right? And sometimes the noise of it all can be deafening. And church, listen, it can even be divisive. It has been divisive. There's so much confusion, and it's tearing our communities apart, it's tearing our churches apart. It's even tearing our families apart. Very sadly. Whatever the issue might be, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's so many issues, right? I, I can pick the big three right now. The COVID pandemic, the unrest in our cities, and the election. And there's so much noise that's deafening and divisive. There's so many people talking all the time who are so sure that they have the plan. They're so sure that they have all of the right answers. Here's what I know, and I'm just talking about me right now. You may feel differently, that's okay. But here's what I know. The number of things that I am sure about in this life seem to be getting a lot smaller I don't know if it's getting older, 
but I am not half as certain about things. Let me say it this way. I'm not certain about half as many things as I was when I was 25. I mean, when I was 25, I knew something about everything. And I had a strong opinion about it, and I would fight about it. And that list, brothers and sisters, is getting a lot smaller the older I get. I'll even put it this way. There are very few things that I'm certain about anymore that are not found in the pages of this book. Maybe only one. I am, I am more certain today than I was 25 years ago that growing old with my wife is going to be a wonderful thing. Other than that, pretty much everything is in this book, and even that's kind of in this book too. But pretty much what I'm trying to communicate is that everything that I'm sure about in this life, I find here. I find right here in these pages. And and that's what I would say to you. We need, we need to be sure, and we need to communicate to each other and to the world that this is a sure foundation. This is solid ground to build our lives on church. Let it set your course. Let it guide your steps. Let let the, the teaching of God's word, build your marriage on it. Parent your children from it because it's a solid foundation for you to build your life on. And and so my my challenge to you this morning in relationship to what we've studied in Revelation 8 is, is turn off the noise. Take time out of your day. Take time out of your week, friends, brothers and sisters, and and just shut off the noise and be still. Open up the book and be still before God. Let eternal truth guide your path, not the latest and greatest idea from someone who thinks they have all the answers. But let the word of God chart your course and then when you do that you'll be in a place to do number two after you've been still you'll be in a place to pray the second thing that i would encourage you to do is to pray why because prayer really does make a difference listen when i pray it changes me that's not just like a cute thing you might see on pinterest It really does. When I pray, it changes me. It changes my perspective. It changes my outlook. It changes my understanding. Prayer really matters. And prayer impacts the world. Prayer makes a difference, friends. Prayer restores relationships. Prayer fixes things that are broken in our lives, in our relationships with other people, and in the world. The reason we don't see that more is we don't pray more. It's not that prayer is ineffective. Prayer works. It's sometimes, it's us. We don't come in faith, trusting 
and believing in the efficacy of prayer. Bible scholar Craig Keener, it's on the screen for you, says, God is sovereign, but in his sovereign plan, he has chosen to make the prayers of his people part of the exercise of his will. So this, listen, God's sovereignty in a statement like prayer makes a difference and prayer changes things fit very comfortably together because God in his sovereignty chooses to use my prayers and your prayers to change the world. Prayer matters. I mentioned this passage last week in passing. I thought I need to return back to it and and just explain it just a bit more because it's a trippy passage. And it's it's on the screen for you. It's uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. And it's about an encounter that Daniel has with an angel in response to his praying. Daniel prays and then an angel shows up 21 days later. It's just this incredible passage in Scripture, and it it reminds me that there's a lot happening in the spiritual realm that I don't know about and that I don't get, that I don't understand. But look at these verses, verses 12 and 13 in Daniel chapter 10. Then he said to me, this is the angel, the angel says to Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself, this is all important, humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. The angel saying, 21 days ago, when you first knelt down and you humbled yourself before God and you prayed about this, God heard you and I was sent out in response to your prayers. And I have come because of your words. Now, 21 days have passed and the angel tells Daniel why. The angel explains to Daniel why, the 21, why it took 21 days for God to respond to his prayer. <laughs> he, had, he was deterred. Look at the rest of this. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, Bible scholars believe that this is a demonic being who was given territory, right, over Persia at that time. So this demon withstood me 21 days. In other words, Daniel prays, God sends out an angel, but the angel and a demon get into a battle for 21 days. And that's what held the process up. The angel says, but Michael, one of the chief princes, an archangel, came to help me. Another angel comes down. I'm assuming they kick this demon's butt. Sorry. And then the angel's able to continue on. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, church. This is a story. This is an angel explaining to Daniel why it 21 days for his prayers to be answered. But what we can't miss is that Daniel's prayer mattered. It made a difference. God moved. God responded. In the sovereignty of God, he uses you and I praying to change the world. Amen? And so let's pray. Let's be committed to prayer. I think one day we will be absolutely overwhelmed in heaven when we see how much impact our prayers had. How should we pray? Well, we should certainly pray for each other, and we should pray for all of the things that we often pray for, for the health of each other, and that people would be restored to health, and for loved ones when they're going through difficult times, all of those things. But I want to focus 
right here at the end of the message, I want to focus on this third point of application. We need to pray for this, church. How should we pray? How should we pray like, like Daniel? We need to humble ourselves and repent. We need to bring ourselves low, and we need to magnify God. We need to repent. We need to be quick to repent of our sins in prayer. We need, church, you and I, brothers and sisters, this isn't, this isn't an out there type thing. I'm talking about us right here at Fellowship. We need to repent before God. And, and this can be hard because it requires humility on our part. We need to be quick to repent of our sins in prayer. We need to confess our sins before God. We need to turn from our sin, and we need to turn to Jesus. Now, some of you are, might be saying, well, I already did that. that. That was when I came to Christ, when I became a Christian. That's what I did, Pastor. Isn't that the gospel, right? You turn from your sin, and you turn to Jesus? Absolutely. That's the first time you do that. <laughs> That's the first time you understand the beauty of the gospel, that you're a hopelessly lost sinner, dead in your sins. And so you turn from your sin because in that moment you understand what your sin has done to you and the damage and the wreckage it's created and the eternal consequences of your sin and you understand that it's an, um, an affront to a holy and perfect loving God. And so in that moment of conversion you turn from your sins and you turn to Christ who is there with open arms who will lovingly save you. That <laughs> is a beautiful moment. But friends, we never move on from that. Listen to me, we never move on from that. The gospel is not something that we grow out of in our Christian faith. It's not something that is we walk more with Jesus and we become more mature in Christ. We leave that message behind. No, the gospel continues to transform us throughout our lives. And we need to be quick to repent throughout our lives, throughout our walk with Christ. Here's my prayer, that God would so move in our hearts here at Fellowship, that God would so move in my heart and in your hearts that we would hate our sin, that we would hate it, that we would despise it. And we need to pray that for each other. My, my prayer for you needs to be that when you sin against God, that you will not be comfortable with it. it. My prayer for you needs to be that if you're in habitual sin, what's habitual sin? I'm not talking about sinning one time and, and repenting and asking forgiveness, but if you're living in it, if you're dwelling in sin, you're getting comfortable in it, my prayer for you needs to be that you're miserable until you repent. Because that is the most loving thing that I can do for you. The most loving thing as your pastor that I can do for you is to pray that you are absolutely miserable until you turn from your sin. Because sin destroys, sin mars, sin has enormous implications on our own lives and on the people around us and on our families and on our church. And if we get comfortable in it, friends, and we live in it habitually, it will destroy us. Habitual sin has crippled so many churches, churches all around us, making those churches ineffective, turning them into places of death that used to be places of life. 
turning them into places of darkness when once they were places where the light of the gospel went forward. And why does that happen? It happens because people get comfortable with their sin and they live in it. Brothers and sisters, habitual sin will cripple Fellowship Baptist Church if we let it. It will. It will turn us into a place of death if we don't get this right. Let's commit together. Right now, today, let's commit together that as people who follow Jesus, we will be quick to turn from our sin and to turn to Christ. That we will not get lazy in our spiritual lives. That we will not grow complacent. But we will be quick to seek the Lord for forgiveness and to turn from it. That we will be quick to seek each other for forgiveness and to turn from our sin. I believe that the Lord wants to do something great here at Fellowship. But we need to be still. We need to be in his word. And that will put us in a place where we can effectively pray. Where we can pray the heart of God for each other. That we can pray that we will repent. And that each other will repent. And when we do that church, when we humble ourselves in that way, and we turn from our sins... And, and we're all doing that as one body. This church will become a bright light in this community. Amen? Amen? Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes just for a moment. Worship team, would you come to the front? Friends, as they come, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. There's nothing... I don't always do this because really the difference is going to be when we, hear, when we hear God's word taught, when we study it on our own at home, when you study it in a small group Bible study, when you hear it preached, whatever it might be, however the word of God comes into us, what matters is what we do with it. What matters is that, that, that there's change. And so I don't always give a time to respond in the moment because the last thing, last thing that I'm looking for or that any of us should be looking for is some emotional response that doesn't lead to real change in people's lives. But this, this morning, I do feel the compulsion of the Spirit to give you a benchmark in your life, a time where you can say, on this day, at this time, I chose to make a decision. I chose to do something different in my life. And so I'm just going to ask you, whether it be any of these three things, any of these three points of application, these responses, whether what the Lord, the Holy Spirit is communicating to you right now is you need to be still. You need to turn off the noise of the world and you need to be still. You need to set aside time with me daily, weekly. I say daily or weekly because it's good that we spend time with God each and every day, but also it might be good to spend a little more time with him periodically throughout your schedule as well. 
and, and it will be time where you get away with God and you turn off the noise, your, your phone is off and you're in God's word and you're just seeking his heart. Maybe it's the second thing. Maybe you look at your, your life and prayer just has not been a priority and, and you have not been spending the time in prayer repenting of your own sin and praying that for others and, and praying for your, your church and for your family. And you're like, I just, I need to make this a priority more. I need to spend more time in prayer. Maybe it's the third thing. And, and maybe for you this morning, there is a habitual sin. There is something that you have allowed Satan to get a foothold in your heart and in your life and your mind with and you've been living in it, you've been dwelling in it, and you've gotten kind of comfortable there. You've been okay with it. But today's the day where you're gonna, where you're gonna say, I'm gonna put that to death. I am not gonna be comfortable with my sin anymore. No matter what it takes, that sin is gonna die. And I'm gonna walk with Christ more closely. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm the only one looking. Worship team, heads bowed, eyes closed. I just want to be able to pray for you as your pastor. If any of those three things are true of you, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, can you raise your hand for me? Can I just see your hands? Amen. Praise the Lord. Hands up all over them. Keep them up. Keep them up just for a second. As your hand is raised, make that commitment before the Lord right now. I'm going to give you just a moment of silence. Keep your hands up. Paul said to Timothy, I, I wish that men everywhere, men, male, female, I wish that everyone would raise holy hands in prayer. So as you're, with your hands held high, make that prayer, make that declaration before the Lord, make that commitment. I will be still before you, God. I'll turn off the noise and I'll spend time in your word. If it's the second one, make this declaration before the Lord. Lord, prayer is going to be something I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to pray more because I need you. If it's the third one, God, here's my sin. I've been living in it. I've been comfortable with it, but I don't want to live in it anymore. Give me freedom from the sin. Rescue me, Jesus, from the sin. I turned from it, and I turn to you, and I receive your forgiveness this morning. If any of those things are true of you, just pray that to the Lord right now. Church, all together, would everyone lift up a hand, please? All hands up, Lord. We pray to you and we ask you for the grace to pray for each other more, that we would not only repent of our own sins, God, but that we would pray that for each other, that we would be quick to turn from sin and turn to you, Jesus. And we pray this in your precious name, amen.